Hello and welcome to the Spectator's Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency in 2017. I'm Freddie Gray and I'm Deputy Editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by Jacob Halbrun, the editor of The National Interest. And we're going to be asking, has Steve Bannon been sidelined within the Trump administration? And if so, what does that mean for the future of President Trump? Jacob, we had the rather surprising news yesterday that Steve Bannon had been removed from the Principals Committee of the National Security Council. How do you interpret that? The truth is that Trump feels quite comfortable in the swamp, as it were. He's been splashing around. He is frustrated by the difficulties that he's encountered. And the principal author of Bannon's demise is Jared Kushner, Trump's son-in-law. Kushner comes from the corporate world and has been increasingly vexed by the turmoil and infighting that has taken place in the administration. And I don't think that Kushner has any extremely defined views on foreign or even domestic policy. He's somewhere between a liberal Republican and a conservative Democrat, would be my assumption. Mm. And this is a sign that the revolution is devouring its children. Bannon, Mike Flynn, Paul Manafort, these were all the authors of Trump's success in, in ascending to the presidency. But now that he's actually become president, he has to dispense with the radicals, the extremists, the people who glommed onto his campaign when it looked like it was a losing enterprise. When Trump, yeah. when Trump actually won, he had to confront the staffing issue, and he still hasn't resolved it. And Kushner, go back to Kushner. Uh, I mean, we know that Kushner and Ivanka are in their social life are friends with, they mingle with people like Tony Blair and certainly sort of elite people in Washington now who, who would who would regard Bannon with as much horror as any progressive liberal. Do you, do you think people are sort of whispering in their ear that, you know, you've got to get rid of Bannon and Kushner has finally moved on that? Well, I think Kushner really is now the, the, deputy, the deputy president of the United yeah. States. Uh, he wields more influence than Mike Pence, more, who is the, the vice president. He is, in some ways, perhaps the most powerful person in the United States since he has Trump's ear. And Trump, as I said earlier, doesn't really have uh, a firm grasp of, of domestic or foreign policy. I don't even think he knows how a bill is turned into law. I don't think he knows how the legislative process works. Mm. So he's heavily reliant on the people around him. And Kushner is going to methodically sabotage and, and uh, extrude anyone from the administration that could represent a, a potential power threat to him. But do you think Kushner has any idea how to get a law passed? No, but I think he has enough smarts to get people in who will explain how it should be done. Yeah. Now, whether they can overcome the fissures in the Republican Party itself is also a hu huge question mark. I mean, you know, people are calling Trump a disaster and all, and that, that's fair enough. But it's, it is also the case that the Republican Party itself consists of several factions. And, mm. you know, it's looking as though Trump's presidency will be the hot air presidency. For all the talk, you read these 
essays by Richard Evans, one of your distinguished professors in the UK, yeah. uh, insinuating that, that there are similarities between Trump and Hitler. The whole thing collapses because of Trump's own ineptitude and the fact that the Republican Party is not a, does not form a disciplined shock troop. Mm. They're, they're fighting with each other. They have majority control and they can't get anything done. Is there an idea in Washington that they are now trying to, that the Trump administration is now trying to form some sort of coherence around foreign policy? And a key figure in that would be H.R. McMaster, the new national security advisor. No question that McMaster is consolidating his power. He, his model is apparently the Brent Scowcroft model of the George H.W. Bush administration, yeah. which is that he would serve as a genuine clearinghouse. I'm sure he can work easily with Tillerson and Mattis. Both of them are somewhere between realists and neocons. So what's happened is that this radical vision that Bannon was talking about, a crusade against Islam or war with China mm. uh, and extreme softening warmth and ties with Russia, it's all out the window. They have reverted to a Bush-Obama foreign policy. Yes, but perhaps a little tougher with China with regards to North Korea. That seems to be what McMaster is putting out. Maybe. The question is, and Trump is in a difficult position here, because he could end up being compared to Jimmy Carter. If, yeah. if he's laying down, he's all this tough talk about Syria and North Korea. Mm. He has said that, that it's not going to happen in North Korea. But North Korea keeps doing missile tests and what, where does that leave Trump? Let's see what happens at Mar-a-Lago this weekend with China. He's coming up against Xi Jinping, one of the wiliest leaders in the world. Is Trump man enough not to get hoodwinked by the Chinese? Are they just going to offer him investment deals in infrastructure in the United States in exchange for waving away American security interests in Asia? We're going to yes. find out this weekend. Let's talk a bit about North Korea and China, because when Trump said, if China doesn't solve this problem, we will, a lot of people took that to be typical Trump, you know, bravado, bluster, possibly very dangerous. But it could be understood in another way, which is he's saying on McMaster's strategy is to say to China, you are now an emergent superpower. You have to deal with your own region and America will deal with ours. It could be that that is a sort of agreement that is made and then they come up to a different settlement on economics and that will be the trade-off yeah i mean if there was some kind of imaginative deal with china that's possible that would be splendid the problem is that north korea does serve as a useful object for the chinese with which to prick the united states yeah. and i'm not sure that the chinese have an interest in really restraining north korea as, as the United States would like to see it. So I think my own suspicion is that it would take a bold Trump deal-making solution, mm. that he would have to visit North Korea personally, yes. cut some kind of a deal. He has said he'd be willing to talk to Kim Jong-un. And, and I think part of that deal could even include a Trump hotel in Pyongyang. <laughs> yeah. Just the cherry, the cherry on top. But there has to be some, they're probably, the only way to do this probably 
is for Trump to revert to the audacity that he promised. If he just follows some conventional path of trying to tighten sanctions, and I, I just am not persuaded that this will resolve the deadlock with the North Koreans. Right now, things are going swimmingly for them. So you think he will resolve to be as audacious as he promised to be, but just without the Bannon-Miller type Well, he rhetoric could. I don't know. You know, the, the thing about Trump is that he, he really, you know, he made these grandiose promises during the campaign, and, and that's who he is. He's uh, a brand salesman, and he yes. sold his own brand brilliantly. But his history has been then that he hoodwinked the people that bought into it. So if mm. the Trump presidency simply becomes George Herbert Walker Bush redux or even 10 drifts in the direction of neoconservatism, then it will be deja vu all over again. Trump, yes. Trump will really, you know, he'll steer a, a fairly conventional Washington Republican establishment course and uh, it will disappoint the faithful the people who, who believed that there was going to be a radical break in his presidency. The more, the more I look at Trump, the, uh, the better a deal he really is for the Democrats. Yes. Because he is, through his bellicose talk, he is reinvigorating the left and the Democratic Party. Meanwhile, it's the Republican Party that could end up in shambles. But the Democrats seem to be missing this opportunity because they're still banging on about Russia. no. I think actually, we'll, we'll see where the Russia topic goes, but I think they've tied the administration in knots with Russia. I think politically it's been quite useful. It's mm. been another of the things that's actually knocked the administration off course every day. Again, let's look. Trump is approaching 100 days of his presidency. This is a traditional marker to see what, what has the president accomplished because your authority and power is greatest at the beginning of your presidency. Mm. The longer your presidency, the more the ability to, to frighten legislators tends to ebb. And Trump may have no significant legislation passed in the first 100 days. So a lot of people are saying that this presidency has gotten off to the slowest, worst start in, the, in American history. Yes, he's a lame duck president from the off. Could be. Yeah. Just going back to the neocon stuff, I mean, I saw Ivanka Trump tweeting about the Syrian bombing, and obviously and Ivanka and Jared, I think, worked together to a certain extent. Do you think with Syria we could see the, the, the neocon line, or certainly the, the hyper-interventionist line on Syria taking over in the next few weeks? Yeah, it will be very interesting. If Trump were to plunge into the Middle East again, that could uh, seriously imperil his presidency as well. Yeah. I mean, he already has to a certain extent. Has he? I mean, there's right. been more bombings in Yemen, more. Yemen, he's up, he's up the fighting. You know, this diverges dramatically from what he said during the campaign. He said that we should avoid getting enmeshed in wars in the Middle East, that this is what had brought America to grief. Yes. Isn't this just the old cliche that when you're struggling at home, which he is because of healthcare reform failing, do something dramatic abroad. Well, distract. it's possible that he might try that. Uh, I don't think that it would work. It, in fact, it could rebound on his administration. Syria is is obviously a hornet's nest, and could 
end up as an utter debacle for the United States, that we would intervene and simply be caught in, a, uh, in an imbroglio with uh, deaths of American soldiers, and that would not play well in the United States. Trump seems quite belligerent, though, about deaths of American soldiers. I mean, he, he actually trumpeted the death of that Marine in the operation in Yemen. That's right. As a, as a sort of heroic American sacrifice. Do you, do you think perhaps he's less cowed by the idea of American deaths than certainly Obama? Well, Obama was pretty, was actually pretty active in foreign policy, if you, if you think about it. Um, yes. But the one thing that, that really does get unpopular is, you know, bombing doesn't really disturb people. It's possible he might just do some kind of a bombing on an, on an isolated airstrip in Syria and then declare victory. Yeah. I, it depends. You know, Defense Secretary Mattis has it in for Iran. So, I, you, you know, the Syria thing could, could be a pivotal moment in his presidency if he really yes. intervened militarily in a, in a serious fashion. Yes. I'm skeptical that it would end well for him, and I do not believe that he would be trumpeting uh, American casualties. I think the, there would be, and it would also blow up any chance of a rapprochement with Russia as well, and it, could, it would pro likely intensify tensions between yes. Moscow and Washington. We've talked before about Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State. The impression we've been getting in recent days, and we've had a, an article about it this week by Ahmed Rashid in, in the magazine, is that he is not really making any impact and that his department is, is sort of confused and, and rudderless. Is that the impression you're getting or is he actually doing more behind the scenes than people realise? Let me put it to you vividly, Freddie. To call him dull would be an insult to base metals everywhere. <laughs> The man looks to be floundering, thrashing yeah. about in waters that are deeper than he can navigate. The word yeah. is that Nikki Haley, our UN ambassador, is already plotting to assume his position. Really? Yeah. Now, what's so fascinating about the Trump administration is that there really is no loyalty to anyone. I mean, Trump, Trump will just turn, you know, with, with Kushner and Trump, they will terminate anyone at any point if they yeah. as, as necessary. So I yes. wouldn't be surprised if Tillerson is gone in six months. Gosh. Well, so that Team Trump is drowning itself. Or drowning, they're drowning each other in the swamp. They are. I mean, that's the most interesting about the thing about the White House is, you know, they say that there's this New York faction of Kushner and Steve Mnuchin, who's the Treasury Secretary, yeah. uh, uh, against the revolutionaries. But the fact is that the, uh, the mainstream faction in the Trump administration is going to dominate. Uh, Jared you Kushner, mean that the mainstream Republican faction? Yes. The, the yeah. most interesting story out of all this isn't really Bannon. It's, Bannon is just, will just be roadkill. It's that Jared Kushner is continually amassing more power in the White House. Yeah. He may even become, in a sense, he may be the de facto president. He's everywhere. He, he traveled to Iraq. He's preparing the negotiations for China. Uh, he's supposed to be running this reform government project. Yes. Kushner is extreme, is very intelligent and a superb operator. 
Could it be just something that, I mean, I accept that may well be true, but could it also not be something that a lot of, let's call them elite journalists, because they are, they like to say that about Kushner, because for them, he's reassuringly accessible. And there's a sort of sense that he might be sane, unlike the crazies within Team Trump. I'm not saying that that his advice is infallible or that yeah. he has a deep, profound understanding of foreign policy. But the combination of him and Ivanka may, is likely to prove overwhelming in the White House. Yeah. Balance of power, so to speak, is, shift, is shifting decisively in their favor. And I think and Reince Priebus will be allied with Kushner as well. He has no lost love for Bannon. Do you think, I mean, you're talking a, a little bit about as though Bannon's finished. I mean, is it possible Bannon will just be moved over to domestic policy where, where Trump sort of feels things are going wrong and Bannon can sort of concentrate on that? And this isn't actually a demotion so much as just a, a switch. I am not persuaded. I have thought since the beginning that Bannon would end up being sidelined. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. They may just keep him in the White House to placate the, the Breitbart faction hmm. and the, the white nationalists and so forth. But I don't think Bannon knows enough about legislation to actually have a serious impact. Look, the travel ban that was instituted early on in, in Trump's presidency was a fiasco. That was Steve Bannon and Steve Miller. They simply had no idea what they were doing. Jacob, what do you think is going to happen on the foreign policy front in the next three weeks? Do you think we could see a major escalation in Syria? It's possible. I mean, that's the way Trump is talking. But whether he's actually prepared to follow through, anyone who tells you they, that they know is lying, unless they're actually within Trump's you know, vicinity. or I, I just don't know. I, presumably, the administration is is debating these issues. Uh, I don't. I just don't know how far they're prepared to go, and no one does at this point. But the alarm bells are being sounded uh, in Washington. I mean, there is there is a healthy debate about whether you know intervention is is really a prelude to disaster. Yes. Because there's, there's now some discussion in Britain as to whether, you know, as we invested quite a lot of sort of diplomatic capital by signing up Brexit to Trump, as it were, people call Theresa May, Theresa the appeaser. I wonder whether, what does Britain do if Trump goes rogue or, or hyper-interventionist in Syria and perhaps even North Korea? Well, North Korea, there's, there's nothing uh, if, nor, that Britain can do. Uh, yeah, that North Korea would be uh, could potentially involve the entire region. In, in I mean, there there are incalculable risks there. Uh, yes. If if China felt the need to protect North Korea, uh, North Korea has a huge amount of artillery stationed close to Seoul. I mean, no one. No one in the military, as far as I can see, is gung-ho to, uh, to attack North Korea. That's, it's the, it is the problem that's... You don't think McMaster might be? I doubt it. I mean, but it would signal, not quite in the Obama style, but it would signal an Asian pivot, America's foreign policy... There is no question. That, that gaze yeah. looks east now. That has been uh, a, a latent Asia first. That's been there from the beginning of the administration, which makes Gideon Rockman's book, Easternization which I don't know if he, he's the columnist for the FT. Yes. Yeah. It's so timely. I mean, 
America, is, the Trump administration's aspiration is to focus less on Europe and more on Asia. China is seen as the burgeoning power that needs to be confronted. Actually, Gideon Reckman had a very interesting piece in last weekend's FT, I think it was, about whether war between China and America can actually be avoided. I mean, with the Trump administration, it seems not entirely unrealistic that America and China could head towards some sort of confrontation in the next four years. Right. Though I think Trump's, Trump's aspiration would be, at, the, at this point, I think the administration would try to avoid that just because the stakes are so high. And I don't see a trade war. Trump has backed off a lot of the trade rhetoric as well. And uh, now they're saying that the, the wall that they want to build won't, won't actually be continuous on the border with Mexico. I mean, yes. the whole thing, Freddie, I, I guess it may not be as apparent in London, but really the whole thing is falling apart for Trump in many ways. Well, Jacob, it's always fascinating to talk to you. I hope you'll talk to us again soon. Definitely. Thanks. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast anytime on iTunes, so please do. 